Well, it's always good to rejoice, uh, to rejoice in the Lord. And, and just to, to see what God is doing in people's lives is always so encouraging. Has anybody in here uh, been recognizing that encouragement lately for many people? Many people are struggling and are in desperate need of encouragement. Have you guys found that to be true? It's like there's just so much circulating in the world right now that it's very hard very hard for, for people to process just daily life, just daily events. You know, the news cycle basically is a, is, it, it, just, is, it just wipes people out, you know, emotionally and otherwise. And people are going through so much right now. And um, it's, important that it, that it, <laughs> it's important that in the body of Christ that we walk in the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength, And if you've ever sat for just for a second to consider what that means, that means if I'm not joyful, there's a weakness in my life. There's a, there's an instability. There's, there's kind of like a, like a, like just a sluggishness that comes into my life if the joy of the Lord um, becomes lacking. So God, by his spirit, the Bible says the fruit of the spirit is joy. So God produces in us his joy and then his joy becomes our strength. And isn't, isn't that generous of God to do that for us? So I love to see when we all come together in the church that people are happy, that people are joyful, that they're, that they're celebrating the good. And, um, and, and that doesn't mean we're pretending because we don't want to be fake people, right? I don't, nobody's into that. Um, Jesus would never be pleased with us if we, if we put on a facade and, and lived in a kind of a phony way. You know, we want to live, we want to live, live in our, you know, out of the real, out of our true heart, I guess you would say, who, what God has really de- doing in us. And if we're going through a hard time, you know, we can work through those things. But by and large, the joy of the Lord is the, is one of the markers of God's people. Joy and that we also have hope. That no matter what's going on in the world around us, we are a people who have just this unquenchable hope. You know, the, and so that's why, even though, even though, you know, negativity is negativity is is a bad thing, generally. But it's not. It's not. You know, we, I don't want to make too much of a spiritual equivalency there. But one of the reasons that the people of God are not or should not generally be negative is that we have an unquenchable hope. So it's kind of hard to be like, wow, man, things are really, you know, it's like, it's really hard to get bogged down in the, in the depressing side of things when you have such a great sense of a greater good that God has, that God has in mind, that God has in store, and that it's coming. And so right now in the church, while we're talking about the sovereignty of God, I just want to bring this as a reminder. I know that this is, it's like high and lofty, um, Compre- you know, thoughts and all these things, high, high concepts about God. But at the same time, God has made himself so accessible to us that the sovereign God we can know, that the sovereign God we can behold with the eyes of, of our hearts, so to speak, that, by, that through faith we can know him. And I didn't, say, I didn't say you could fully comprehend him or understand all of his ways, but the sovereign God becomes, he is our God, he's our father. And the sovereignty of God is meant to be one of the greatest comforts that God's people have. You have to know this. And I know, and I'm, you guys have heard me talk about it, it'll come up every week because I want us to be careful about, you know, the applications and, and, the, and, the, and the interpretations and the things that we pull from this doctrine because it's derailed a lot of people too. Um, because they come to wrong conclusions 
But you and I, in knowing that God is Lord and Master, that he's ruling over all, that time and eternity are in his hands, that, the, that while the wheels of time are turning, God is the Master over it all. That's a great comfort to us, isn't it? Do you guys think it is? I just wonder if you think it is. I mean, because if you don't believe God is good, it doesn't do you much good. But if you believe and know that he is good, then understanding that he's working all things toward an end that glorifies him and he's good, then we have great hope. You know, ultimately, we look at all the injustice in the world and that's where people get depressed, right? This happened, it was wrong, and there's no justice. That's where people get depressed. But if you look at God, you say, God is a God of justice. And before everything is is finished playing out, by God's design, there will be perfect justice for everything. Every wrong will be made right. And we're going to talk about it. I feel like I'm just chomping at the bit, waiting to get to the message on sovereignty and prayer. Because, this, because I used to think they were somehow opposed to each other. And I found out that they're, best, they're, they're hand-holding best friends. That you, that the prayers of God's people... Are, are, are they make they, we, we, the prayers of God's people make an appeal to their sovereign God and in his great power we get to participate and cooperate with God in the fulfillment of the divine plan and it's the most beautiful perfect thing that anybody's ever seen and it's the way that God's kingdom comes in the earth so on the one hand we can look at the sovereignty of God and say well I have great comfort and hope because I know that God's ruling over everything and on the other hand we need to also say But while we're waiting for the ultimate fulfillment that someday, who knows when, because it hasn't been told, the Bible even says the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the Son, but only the Father in heaven. While we're waiting for that unforeseen day, we can participate in the bringing of the kingdom of God in the earth by faith-based action that God stirs us and inspires us to do. And I just love the way that God in his sovereignty but in his perfect, in his perfect way has, has made, <laughs> has made the, it's so hard to find the words for all these things, but God has made a life for us to live that has such significance in the eternal plan that it's really exciting to walk with God. And I want to challenge us as a church to be a people who are always seeking to know What are you saying, Lord? This is the way that Jesus lived. What are you saying, Lord? What's your word to me right now? You know, Jesus said, they asked Jesus, I shared this a little bit with the men's breakfast on Saturday too, but um, they asked Jesus, they said, well, where'd this guy get all this learning because he hasn't been to school? He's not educated. How did Jesus get this smart? And Jesus' answer was totally bewildering to them. He said, my teaching is not my own. He said, I just, my father tells me, things and I repeat them and I and if you realize it's like I can live I if that's what it means like to 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 work it out you know to to figure out how to be somebody God can speak through and all these other things I don't know if I can memorize a bunch of information but I can certainly do that I can certainly be somebody who's a good listener I can certainly be somebody who just says father speak to me God speaks in your heart and you repeat the things that God puts in your heart There's a verse in the Psalms where David said, open wide my mouth. Or no, no, God said to David, he wrote it down in the Psalms, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. So you and I come to this place of like, 
I feel like I need to say something here, but I don't know what to say. And God says, begin to obey me. If you know you need to say something, then make the approach. Begin to say something. Say what you know. Say hello. Hi, my name is. You know what it means to begin, initiate, make it, you know, at least begin to obey. And then when you open your mouth, here's my promise to you. I'll fill it. And you won't have known what you should say until you begin to obey. And when you begin to obey, he'll fill it. That's, so, so you look at that and you go, man, that's incredible. Like God is interacting with us. And this is the way that Jesus lived his life. What should I do, Father? Should I pray for this person? Should I pray for this blind man to be healed? Jesus is praying. He's listening to the voice of his father in his heart. And his father says, yeah, I want, you, I want that guy to be healed. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to make some spit. Take some spit and make some, some dirt into mud using your own spit. And I want you to rub it on his eyes. You got it? How many of you would just go with that? <laughs> You're like, oh, this isn't the ordinary. Okay, you know, he, but he does that. And he puts, you know, on the guy's eyes. He says, go and wash. And the guy goes and washes and his, and his eyes are cleansed and he's, and he's made whole. And, you know, you look at all this and he's like, you know, he's not making this stuff up. It's coming to him from his father. And, it, and, and he has to be able to suspend his rational frustration with the fact that it, maybe it doesn't even make sense to him. But this is what I've been led to do, so I'm doing it. And I'm saying all of this because I want you to realize just how intensely practical God's engagement is with us. And then I want you to balance that right up against the fact that he's absolutely sovereign and he's working all things all the time for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I'm calling you to engage in a great mystery that all the while, while you're working it out, working out your salvation, working out the things that God puts in your heart, God's working all things at a higher level that you and I cannot comprehend. It is so far beyond us what God is doing. But if, if we stop engaging, we say, well, God's sovereign, everything's just gonna happen. Well, everything begins to fall apart instead. While the church is obeying and and listening to the voice of God and obeying his voice and doing the things that he's calling them to do, God is working through their works to accomplish his will in the earth. So it's incredible. God is incredible. And I'll tell you, and I said this last week, but I'll say it again. It's one of the proofs that he's worthy of our worship. Because you look at God and you're like, who could do this? Who? Who could be answering everybody's prayers in the world all at once? Who could even hear them all? No person. It's, it's beyond our comprehension even to think. I can't listen to two people talk at once without completely losing my mind. Anybody else like that? Okay. Huh? But God is working everything all the time. And he has time to speak to us and to lead us and to guide us. So it's incredible. So I'm going to tackle today what, I, what is one of the... It's, I don't know if you say it's challenging or maybe in some ways it challenges us. It's hard to accept in some ways. But I want to show you the, the way that sovereignty, God's sovereignty and our salvation come together. Because if I were to say um, kind of what, what initially maybe my impression was of how people are saved. And when I say saved, I mean, I mean we, were, we were born and the Bible says that we were born with a nature of sin. That nature we inherited from Adam. Adam, the first man, Adam and Eve, his wife, they sinned, they both sinned, and the whole, and sin came into the world, it infected human nature at that moment, and everyone who's been born since has been infected with a nature to sin, 
And uh, what happens is at, when you're a little child, you kind of just start to, you're, you're a baby and, and you don't really, obviously because a baby's limited in its cognitive ability and all these other things and understanding it's hard for a baby to sin. That's my point. Then a baby grows and becomes a toddler. And how many, how many think your view changes on whether or not a child is able to sin when they reach toddler age, right? And so, so at some point or another, though, the child is both actively and cognitively aware that what they're doing is wrong and they do it anyway. And the Bible talks about there's this activation, in a sense, where, we, anyway, without getting too much into the depths of it, it's like, Paul said it this way, when I saw, when I saw that the law said don't covet, it awoke in every covetous desire in me, and I, suddenly I wanted things I didn't even want before, because, I did, because until I read it, when I read it in the law, it woke sin up in me. And then I acted on my covetous desire, and when I acted on it and I knew it was wrong, he said, sin came to life, and I died. Then, so we die in our sin. <clears throat> and when we're dead in our sins, the only thing that we can do is go on sinning. We, we break God's law, and, and we even stir up, we stir ourselves up, right? And we say like, oh man, I just, well, I, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. This has really had some negative consequences in my life and in relationships. It's wrecked me financially. It's, you know, it's messed up my health, whatever it is. And it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a different road. And you start to chart a different course. But that nature of sin is still in you. And it's alive and it's active. And you are dead in your sins and transgressions. And so you keep going back to it. You wish you wouldn't, but you keep on doing it. And in that condition we hopefully at some point reach a place of desperation where we say, what in the world? I cannot go on like this. If I keep going like this, I'm either, I'm either gonna die from, the, from the, just bearing the consequences of my actions or my life's gonna be such a mess, it's not gonna be worth living. I need, I need help and I've tried to help myself and I've put myself through programs and rehabs and I've done it all and I, and, but it doesn't change the fact of who I am. The true heart that, that's inside of me is a heart that wants to do the wrong thing and I can't get away from it. And when, it, and when, I, need, and when I need to do something different, when I need it more than ever, I find myself weakest of all. And in that condition... This is the beautiful thing, right? If you're a Christian in this room and you're listening right now, the church, the church, the people of God, and if someone in that condition then hears the message of our salvation, which is you are the person, you are in the very condition that Jesus found me in and Jesus saved me. And you know what Jesus did when I put my faith in him because he died, I couldn't be perfect and not only could I not be perfect, I couldn't even do very well. Jesus was perfect. He kept God's law perfectly. So he, was, so he was able to be the spotless sacrifice for our sins. He went to the cross. He accepted the cross. His father said, it's the only way to, for all these people to be redeemed. That's what I want you to do. And Jesus said, I'll do it. And Jesus went to the cross and there he, he suffered and he died. And when his blood was poured out and he breathed his last, Jesus had paid the penalty and the price in full for you and I to be forgiven, but not just forgiven. Forgiven would be tremendous. Forgiveness would be incredible. But forgiven, yes. But then, by faith, we are made new creatures. 
Everything in me is wiped away. All the old is taken away. It's gone. He cleanses the the conscience of guilt, the Bible says. How many know that you cannot get free from guilt on your own? How many have found that to be true? Guilt is a slave master. Shame is one of the worst things that a person can experience. But But he frees our conscience from guilt and shame. He fills us with his spirit and his spirit begins to produce a brand new life in us. And that's not the end of it. That's the beginning of it. So he, and then his, his, spirit, his spirit begins to just do, work itself out through us. And we're, we, now we have been entrusted by God with the same message that can do for somebody else what was done for us. So somebody's in that position of desperation because they can't save themselves and they're starting to realize that. And the message of their salvation comes in and someone says, Jesus already paid it. And all you have to do is accept it. You receive it as a gift. And by faith, faith comes into the person's heart and the person says, I do believe. And through faith, through faith in the finished work of the cross, a new life begins. It's incredible. Incredible to me, the, the, the things that God has done. But God is the one who works everything to that end. The sovereign God of the universe is the one who works everything toward that end because he's got his eye on you. And so I want to show you something of the master plan in all of this. First of all, I would say this. The cross of Jesus Christ was a majestic display of God's sovereignty over sin, death, hell, the devil, and all souls. That God rules over everything. Do you know that the devil thought he seems like he thought he was winning when Jesus was dying on the cross? And then Jesus pulled the one-two punch and absolutely destroyed the devil's work. I, I mean, it's unbelievable, you know? It's like, it's all like all the great stories that stir our hearts, you know what I mean? It's like the great hero is almost dead or has actually died. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, by some, act, some miraculous act or an incredible deliverance, that hero comes back out of the place of death and triumphs over his foes. And I mean, we're just like, and it stirs our hearts because God wrote the story on the human heart. Why do you think these stories, they make great movies and everything else, when they, they all follow the, the Christ archetype, they all do, because God wrote that story on the human heart. He made us, designed us to respond to that story and to go, wow, that's incredible. And then you hear the gospel and you go, that's just like Jason Bourne, man, I'm serious. <laughs> Nobody can kill Jason Bourne. Nobody. But Jason Bourne, he kills everybody. Anyway, so you get back to the point. So he, this was a display. It was a display of the sovereignty of God. Death, sin. Sin mastered people, but it couldn't master Jesus. He didn't even give in to it once. And then he triumphed over it at the cross. Death couldn't hold Jesus when he got there. He went all the way into death, but it couldn't hold him. Hell, Jesus visited hell. We don't know exactly what all that looked like, but he took some people away from the devil right there, so he triumphed over hell and the devil while he was dead. That's pretty good. And gathered up souls for God. I mean, this is incredible. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, and he was not talking, you know, we use lifted up like in a praise song, like lift him up, lift him up. Jesus, when he said, if I be lifted up, he was talking about lifted up on the cross. He said, if I be lifted up, I will gather all men to myself. 
So what happened in the spiritual realm when Jesus died, when Jesus went to the cross, (laughs) you couldn't hear it and you couldn't see it, but what was happening in the spirit while Jesus was dying was a call was going out into all the earth and it sounded like this, come unto me. And like a shockwave that spread around the globe. And that wasn't the end of the work. Jesus said it's finished on the cross, but what he was saying was everything that needs to happen for God's will to be completed, the work has been finished now. So by faith, you'll lay hold of what you need and you'll go out and you guys, the church, will carry out this work until it's actually finished in real time. So Jesus, this call goes out into all the earth. The come unto me, the call. And so now everybody who responds to Jesus in, in come and accepts him and believes in him for salvation, that person is answering a call that started 2,000 years ago on the cross. Only God could do that. It's incredible. So, so let's get to the meat and the bones of it, right? Because you guys are all chomping at the bit and waiting for this one thing. So do, do I choose God or does God choose me? Anybody want to answer it just real quick? (laughs) Right, the answer is yes. Um, The answer is yes, but I'll go ahead and say this. The balance of the scriptures are very, very heavily weighted on one side, and that's on the role that God plays in salvation. Very heavily weighted on that side. If you want to just, I'll just make up a number. It's like a 90-10 split or something like that. God, if you take away man's part, like man can't find it in his heart to accept Jesus, but God calls him and chooses him and, and all these other things and God works the circumstances of his life, that person can still be saved because God will snatch him right out of the disastrous place he's found himself and save him anyway. I, I'll share a testimony about that in just a few minutes. But if God's part is taken away, it doesn't matter how many men want to be saved. It doesn't matter how many men try to be saved or work for it or any other thing. There is no salvation if you take away the sovereign work of God in bringing people to himself. My goal and my hope and my heart is if you're a Christian and you're in this room, that through this, what you hear today, you will rejoice in your salvation. Because I don't know anybody who could see all that God has done to bring you to himself and not just go, oh, glory to the gracious God. The God of all grace has saved me. If you're not a Christian and you're in this room, I want to say, I hope you hear the call. I hope you hear that call that went out from the cross. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, Jesus is everything. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So where do we boast? You know what I mean? I chose Jesus, glory, hallelujah. Well, you did, but he made that possible. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So we have to get our boast right. You know what I mean? You say, glory, look what God's done for my soul. That's probably the better way to say it, right? Look what God has done for my soul. I'm gonna show you how some of this works. And look, uh, admittedly, we're going into like 
you know, the, the, <laughs> the outer realms of the universe as far as our human thinking goes, but God has that effect on us. John 15, 16, Jesus said this to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he may give to you. And I understand Jesus isn't necessarily talking to them about eternal salvation in that moment. He's talking about his calling of his disciples, but the spirit of it endures. The principle of it is true, that Jesus chooses us, that we are chosen for salvation. And there are many people who would never say they chose him, but they would say, he chose me, he snatched me out. I was headed for destruction and he pulled me out. Admittedly, some Christians are upset by this idea, but here's what I want you to know. Being God's chosen people is our inheritance. And if you give this away, you're giving away a big piece of your inheritance because this is meant to be a key to your rejoicing in the Lord. But not only is this our being God's chosen people, our inheritance, we also are God's inheritance. We belong to him he, the Bible refers to, it says, his inheritance in the saints, that we are his. We belong to him. Listen, so I want you to hear the tone in Ephesians chapter one, because it is a tone of rejoicing. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as, listen to these words, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So he chose us. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. Did you know that the Bible said, it talks about the Lamb's book of life, and it says, whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. So God wrote a book, and in that book he wrote down your name and my name, and each and every person who belonged to him. He wrote our names down before the foundation of the world. Does that blow? Are your minds getting blown yet? This is, in, this is incredible to me that, to think about what God has done. Because let me ask you this. How many good deeds had you done before the foundation of the world? Exactly zero, same as me. How many bad deeds had you done that he should overlook you? Exactly none. But did you know that this is the very meaning of grace? Grace, is only, grace only exists in its purest form as far as God is concerned. Anything that has to do with works is not grace. Grace is entirely independent of works. So if salvation is by grace through faith, that means God chose us. He gives us the gift of salvation. He gives us faith to believe in him. And it has nothing to do with how good or bad you've been. It has to do with his choosing of you. And God always gets his man or his woman or child. But not your dog, I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Okay, let's keep moving. Some people are crying or I can't believe it. Look, he's a nice dog, but he's not, okay. Let's move on. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. To what end? That we would be holy and blameless before him. So can you say, oh, well, I get it. I'm predestined. My name's written in God's book. I can live however I want. 
That would be a pretty sloppy uh, conclusion, I, I'd say, especially since it says right here that he chose you for this purpose, that you would be holy and blameless before him. That's a pretty high calling. Sounds like we might need some help achieving it. Maybe a, a, maybe a new spirit would help. Wait a second. It'd have to be a certain kind of spirit. Maybe a Holy Spirit. Maybe if you gave, maybe if, okay, maybe if he gave us a Holy Spirit, we could become holy and blameless before him. And isn't that exactly what he's done for us? So it's just not you. Okay, now you're saved. Now get to work and it's all on you. No, you've entered into a covenant of grace. Everything continues to be of grace. That's your new life. Congratulations. It's the greatest life that exists on the face of the world. There is no other life. In love, he predestined us. Oh, that's a touchy word in the church. He predestined us, but I don't know how else you say it. To adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Through Jesus to himself. He bought you at the cross. He bought us for himself a redemption according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of what? His grace which he freely without cost and not linked to works in any way which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. If you're a believer and you're in this room do you know that you are loved in the beloved? That you are loved in Jesus Christ. Do you know this? That you are loved by God to the same degree that he loves Jesus Christ. That you are loved in the same way that he loves the beloved because you're his adopted child. He does not make distinctions. He doesn't say, this one's better than that one. He loves us all, but he loves us under the, in the canopy of the Son because we are in Christ. We are in the beloved. So Ephesians 2 says it this way. 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And where'd that faith come from? That not of yourselves. So it's a gift. So you can't just say, I'm choosing to believe. And I'll tell you guys, one of the greatest deceptions, one of the great power plays that the devil tries to keep you from God, and the devil's real. I'll just throw that out there. He's, we say the devil, and you picture this little red suit, horn guy. It's not what he is. He's a spirit, and he masquerades as an angel of light tries to make himself look like something good. He says things to you. He quotes Bible verses to you, but twists their meaning. He's trying to keep you from God. And one of the power plays that the devil tries to keep us from God is this whole thing. This idea <clears throat> that you can wait until you're ready and then you'll choose God. Well, maybe on my deathbed. Well, what if your deathbed is an intersection on a highway and you don't have any time? You know what I mean? I know that's not me trying to scare you. That's just me saying, first of all, it's not realistic. But secondly, the Bible says it this way. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Why? Because he's speaking today and he may not be speaking tomorrow. So this is that, you know, how, do you, how does all this work, God? Because you're like saving the people whose names are written in your book. And yet you, this pastor is saying, if I hear his voice, I'd sure better answer. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So quit messing with God's business. He'll handle all that. Today, if you hear his voice, this is your side of things. This is your business. Do not harden your heart. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that nobody can boast. 
God initiates every part of our redemption and makes us ready and able to respond to his grace in his perfect time. He does it. He works everything toward that end. So let's look at a picture of what it looks like to come to Jesus. It looks like this, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you know, you, people don't just say that, right? That's not, people don't say that in conversation. This is something that is proof of, of a work going on in somebody's heart. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And I was thinking about this, and I was trying to find, because I've been encouraging you guys, like, let's live in the gray area. Like, where does God's sovereignty meet with our, with our accountability or our uh, agency or whatever you want to call it? And I thought, well, maybe this is the verse, because it says, you know, faith is a gift from God, so we believe but then the confession part, well, that's our thing. So we then confess that Jesus is Lord, right? And I, and I thought, okay, we've got it. So here's God's part and our part, and they're right there in one verse. And then I remembered this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. It says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so even the confession part, he has to inspire it by his Spirit. You're saying, Pastor, you're making it sound like I'm entirely at the mercies of God. Good, I'm glad that's coming through. But you're at the mercies of a merciful God who is calling to you and gave his son for you. Do you realize he paid the price? He paved the way? He sent out the call? He's, he's working all the circumstances of your life so that you'll come to this critical point and say, yes, I believe that Jesus did everything for me and so now save me, oh God. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself and give me this new life. He's done that for you. So to be at the mercies of a God like that is the best possible place you can be. Jesus must do the saving work entirely because our natural will has been corrupted by sin. We cannot save ourselves. And I don't mean you don't say yes to him. I don't mean you don't submit your heart to him. I don't mean that you, have, you I literally do nothing. But what I'm saying is everything that you do, he makes possible. He makes it possible by the works that he does in your life. The idea that we cannot save ourselves, this doctrine theologians have called total depravity. We are hopelessly lost if Jesus does not choose us and call us, giving us grace and faith. Because people are not running around saying, where is God that I might find him? Where is God that I might find him? People, because of our nature, because of sin is in us. And now some people are, but there's, there's some God in that, I'm just saying. Most people are going, if I can get away from God, I would run to the farthest corners of the earth because I am determined to do whatever I want to do, whatever gives me pleasure and whatever makes me happy, or at least whatever promises me happiness, even though it's lied to me a hundred times. I'm going to chase after it one more and see if maybe this will be the one time that it actually comes through. People are running far and fast away from God not necessarily turning around going out of the basic goodness of human nature, which doesn't exist. And I don't mean nobody has a good thought or a good intention ever. I'm just saying that to say we are pure, pure and good apart from God is a lie. The brokenness of human nature is total. 
and that we will depart from God at the last. We'll, we'll justify ourselves. We'll go to church and we'll give money and we'll serve the poor just to not have to have our salvation be dependent on Jesus. We'll try to work our way to heaven rather than accept the gift of grace. That's how corrupt our nature really is. And think about what it means to say, really, the hundred bucks that you gave to, to, to this ministry over here, that makes the death of Jesus no longer necessary? That's an insult. God said there was no other way or he'd have found it. He'd have done something else, but there was no other way. So he sacrificed his most precious, his own son. So we have to be willing to acknowledge that apart from the grace of God, we will run far away from him. But God is, uh, he's, got, he's got your name written down and he's seeking you out. And to be sought out by God, you know, what I, you know what I found out from running away from God at peri- periodically at different times in my life is that God is really fast. That's what I found out. Because you run and run and run and you work at it for months and you're sinning and you're disobeying God and you're doing all this stuff and finally you just like run out of options or money or whatever and you just can't do anything else like the prodigal son and you stop for a second and you go, oh, all right. Enough is enough. I guess I've got to go back to God. And you turn around and he's just right here. He was really fast. You can't get away from God. Running from God is one of the most, it's an exercise in futility by definition because he's, he's already where you're going. He's not just chasing you. He's everywhere all the time. And when he's ready, when, you're, when your number is up and he's calling you in, he's going to get you one way or the other. A friend of mine in, who I was a roommate in college, he, uh, Joseph, just got a picture of him. Anyway, my brother knows him too. They had, he, his daughter is grown up and looks just like him. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen because he's interesting. Anyway, his daughter has a mohawk this tall. It's green. Anyways, when I met Joseph, well, I didn't really know him that well, but my other roommate invited him to come live with us. In uh, his former life, he had been a neo-Nazi skinhead, hateful, racist dude, just nasty, violent. And he, what he told me, um, we do screen our roommates, you know, so he told me uh, how, he had, uh, how he'd been saved. And, and Joseph had somehow or another ended up at church, which was not a place he liked to frequent. Uh, he ended up at church, though. And, and he, I don't remember, I think it was maybe his girlfriend invited him or something. And he was in this church and they're having an evening meeting and he's, and he's hearing the gospel, the message of Jesus, the message of salvation, that all this hateful, awful stuff he's done, he can be forgiven of. And while he's sitting there, this grief just comes over him, this total grief. Like he's never felt sorry, you know, for what he's done before, but now he's got this, this overwhelming grief and he's just dealing, trying to deal with it and trying like, you know how you do, not to show it. And he, but he's dealing with this intensity of like sorrow for his sin. And he's dealing with it and he's sitting there and he's struggling with it and he just decides, okay, this is really bad. This is really uncomfortable. I'm getting out of here. And he gets up and he goes out into the aisle and he makes for the door. You know, he's going to get out of there. I don't know if he was actually running, but I think the way he said it felt like he was running for the back door. And he, he got to the back door and he's about to get out of there and he said it was like somebody grabbed him by the shoulders and picked him up and turned him around and carried him down to the altar and just put him on the ground and nobody touched him but God 
And right there, he repented. You know what I mean? He didn't know where to go with this grief. He didn't know what to do with it. So God said, well, no, they're going the wrong way. This is the way. <laughs> and he took him to the place where, he you know, the altar is a symbol, right? Coming and kneeling at a church stage, is not, it's, a, it's a symbol. I'm here and kneeling. It's all symbolic because I need an altar. I need a place to sacrifice. I need to give up all this stuff. And I need my life to change. I need God to come into my life. And so apart from his own will, he was saved by God. This is what I mean when I say your part can go away and God still wins. But if God's part goes away, where does he go? He runs out the back door and probably never darkens the door of a church again because he doesn't want to feel that again. But then he's left hopeless because he's got nowhere to go. He's got nowhere because you can't live with that kind. You can't, you, can't go, you can't sin and sin and sin and it's just piling up to the heavens because it's always coming back down on you an intensity of grief, sorrow, shame, regret, and things that you can't make go away because only the blood of Jesus takes it away. Only the blood of Jesus. So, God's power is incredible. I'm gonna move for the sake of time to Romans 5. Well, let me just say this. On the other side, if you can just get through this, if you can get to the place where you can accept that God is the one who saves and that we simply submit to the work that he does by grace, (laughs) by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. On the other side of our struggle with this truth is great rejoicing. Because when you realize all that he did to win you, all that he did to save you, there is no other response but great joy. Because it doesn't make any sense. It's, like, it's almost like winning the lottery and without ever buying a ticket. Do you know what I mean? It's like it, the, winning the lottery doesn't make sense even if you did buy a ticket because the odds are stacked against you. But there's nobody weighing your life in the scales and going, this one's good enough. But God in his mercy is choosing and saving and choosing and saving and choosing and saving and choosing and saving. And everybody's just going, I don't belong here to you. No, I don't belong here either. I don't know what in the world. What is this? This is the church. Bunch of messed up people like us, yeah. But there's something's changed in my heart, yeah. Something's changed in my heart too. So, what's the next thing? And he gave us the Bible, and he gave us the Spirit, and he's given us a way. We begin to chart a path forward. You know, we're not left hopeless. We're not left without guidance. But that's the way that God is. This one had a life that looked decent on paper, but not in the heart. And this one had a life that looked like a wreck. God chose, and God chose. And he chooses and saves us and chooses and saves us. And it, and it leads you to say, I don't know why you did it, but I'm really, really, really happy that you did. And because of that, I want to give my life as an offering. I don't want to be in charge of it. If you brought me here, if you brought me to here and that was your work, well, then I want everything else to be a work of God. I want everything else to be a work of God. Romans 5, 1 and 2 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The real trouble in the heart and you know in our hearts before we know Jesus is, like I said, our sins are piled up to the heavens, but through that we have we don't have peace with God. And it doesn't matter who else we have peace with if we don't have peace with God. The Bible says it this way: there is no peace, says my God. For the wicked. But the Bible says the wicked can have money. 
They can live luxuriant lives on the face of the earth. They can seem not ever to get sick. They have lots of children and they go off and prosper and do everything else and everything else goes well. But when they lay their heads on their pillows at night because they don't have peace with God, they have no peace. And many people who have everything the world could ever offer would give everything that they have to have one night's sleep without continual condemnation and shame. And then you have the poor righteous. They pay their bills, most of them. No, I'm kidding. The Lord takes care of his children. He does. They pay their bills, but maybe they haven't got this huge nest egg. Maybe they haven't got everything that they ever wanted. But they lay down on their beds and sleep in peace because they are at peace with God, which you cannot buy with money. And I'm telling you, that's the life. There is no other life. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith. Jesus gives you the introduction. I mean, he just shows you around. By faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So what's my hope? What's the, this exult? Exult is a, is a high-level rejoicing word. I rejoice greatly in the hope that whereas my life before was just kind of not bearing any fruit or else it was a lot of bad fruit and lots of bad things were happening, now I have a new hope. And the new hope is that my life can be for the glory of God. The things I do, the things I say, the influence I have on people can be for good and for even the glory of God, which is the highest praises of God. My life can be for that purpose and that's worth living for and dying for. So I hope that all of this leads you to this conclusion. If God has chosen me for redemption, he must have a magnificent plan for my life. So I will seek him to find out what it is. Because this is, I know I said, it's heavily weighted. God does almost everything and we respond to his work. And that's how we're saved. But on the other side of that salvation, you have to realize, okay, he called me, but it's not for no purpose. He called me for a purpose. He has a plan. And so I'll close with this in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So he doesn't say, work for your salvation. He says, work out your salvation. We work out what God works in. We, we, he works it in, we work it out. And he says, with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So even in that, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And everybody goes, okay, got it. I'm going to get to work. And he says, but just remember something. It's God also who inspires the desire. It's God who's at work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So make sure that at the end of the day, God gets all the praise. But that's a li- this is a life, I'll tell you what, this is a life worth living. You recognize that God is your, he's your God. He's the sovereign over everything. He's our savior. He redeems us for himself, but he saves us for a purpose. 
So I just want to say to you, if you're sitting in this room, and you, you may have, and many of us do, sold yourself short and said, well, I guess I'll just do the common sense things and that'll be my life. And I'll just go to church on Sundays and thank God. And that's not a bad thing, but I want to encourage you to take it to another level and to really ask God, what is your vision for my life? And I'm serious. Ask and wait and listen. What do you want for my life, Lord? What do you have for my life? Where do you want this life to be? Because I'm giving it to you. So what do you want it to be? And, be, and open up your heart to impo- the things that you might even think are impossible now, but that might be in the heart of God for you. He does not save us for no purpose. He's got something for you. And he wants, at, at the very least, God wants to guide you through even the everyday decisions of life so that everything you say, everything you do, every place you are, you are an instrument that brings glory to his name. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And I want to say it. If you heard this message today and you're recognizing that maybe God is a little bigger than you thought or had thought or been taught or heard, I want to encourage you um, that if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you hear God calling you, you can come kneel at the altar. You can pray right where you are. But faith is a gift from God. And if that faith has come into your heart this morning and you've heard the word of God and you said, I, I believe that what Jesus did is the thing that I've been looking for. It's, his salvation is complete. The re, the, it's the answer to all the big questions. And if you can accept that, that is a gift from God. He's working in your heart right now. And I want to say, do, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come to him. Offer yourself to him. Confess your sins. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Lord, work in this room, I pray. Give us a greater vision, a grander vision. God, we need to see as you see. But thank you, Lord, for loving us with an undying love. And for that, with that self-sacrificial love that caused you to give up Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us and saving us, those of us who know you. And thank you for calling to yourself, Lord, even right now, those who do not. And I pray in Christ's name that you'd be a redeemer in this place right now, Lord, and that you would reach down from heaven and just pull out, Lord, every soul, every heart that knows they need, I need to be pulled out, I need to be saved from my sins, saved from this life I live, pulled out in Jesus' name. Give grace in this room, Lord, give glory here and now, we pray. And I ask God you would do it and you would receive all the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, this, I don't know, if any of you, some of you in here may have been wrestling with this topic or you've heard people discuss it and your initial reaction like mine when I first heard this some years back was, well, that's not right. Because I grew up in a church, they love the Lord, but the stress always every Sunday was you need to do this. You need, and, and, and it was walk the aisle come down, trust in Jesus, and it was make a decision, make a decision, make a decision. And all that is true. We do. The apostles called people to salvation. They called people to turn from their sins and repent. But there's a whole other half of the message that I never heard was that that faith 
that you're feeling, that you believe in Jesus, God put it there. And he's the one who's called you. And I am, Joel's heard this a million times. Don't get too bored. I was in seminary and I would lay in bed at night going, who am I kidding? I'm going to, I know it's some, if this is up to me one day, I will turn away from Jesus because there, if, if nothing else, at least I was honest in my own heart because I knew, man, I wasn't, I wasn't in myself righteous. And then through bits of scripture and believe it or not, a little sun catcher my wife had on the window in the kitchen that had a scripture verse. I read the scripture that said, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And it wasn't that I was prideful that I wanted to be in charge of my destiny. It was that I couldn't believe it was that good. I couldn't believe that God orchestrated my salvation from first to last. He started it. He's going to finish it. Then all of a sudden, the scripture that says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Or the scripture that said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I went, oh, that's what that means? And I'm telling you, it was almost like being converted, saved all over again, that I believed because of his work. Because if he started it, I promise you, he will finish it. It doesn't take away, the, there's a mystery of how we respond and, and, and we, are, we do, are responsible to respond, but we're able to respond because of his grace that's at work. And I just want to encourage you, if, if there's something in you that sees this and maybe you say, oh, I've heard that before and I don't like it. The word of God, is, I, all of a sudden I saw it all over the Bible. And I'm like, how did I miss this? It wasn't ever taught. Search the scriptures and see whether these things be of God. I promise you, you've got a lot of joy ahead of you. It changed everything for me. Oh, Lord, be glorified. Receive praise, Lord, from your people. All of us, Lord God, we just offer up, Lord, offer up to you our hearts now that you would receive us, Lord, as offerings, Lord, to your greatness, God. We are yours. Let your spirit fill us, Lord, and live through us, Lord. We know that you've called us for a purpose and we want to walk in that, Lord. We want to see this world, Lord, turn from darkness to light as the Spirit of Jesus fills this place, Lord. God, thank you. Thank you for the salvation that we have in you, that we have been delivered, Lord. We are being saved and we will be saved in the last day, that we have uh, this incredible expectation of hope. And I pray, O God, that you'd help us as we go out of this place today to walk as the church should in the world. Lord, as your word says, holy and blameless before you, Lord, full of the power of God, with the word of God in our mouths, Lord. And as the scripture says, a sharp two-edged sword, Lord, in our hands, God, that we are ready, Lord, to fight the fight of faith that is before us. And I pray in Christ's name, Lord, that you would let us see so much good fruit this week. Lord, put people in our path, Lord, who need to hear the good news of what you've done, Lord. Put people right in front of us. And I pray if there's been people standing all around us, Lord, and we just can't see it, open our eyes, oh God. Open our eyes, I pray, Lord, to step forward into all that you have for us. Be glorified. Receive all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.
Go in peace.